This is day 233 of our daily Bible reading. We're going to read the book of 1 Peter today, chapters 1 through 5. Lord Heavenly Father, as we enter into your presence this morning, help us to be sober-minded, to give us a sober spirit, to be aware of the reality around us. Not only that, this world is temporary, and it is a lost world, but also, Lord, that you are greater than all of that. You have called us to a higher calling. And so often, Lord, we get distracted. Help us to stay focused on you today. And help us to learn more deeply what it is you need us to do. Please bless the reading of this word. In Jesus' name, amen. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ. To those who reside as aliens scattered throughout Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, who are chosen according to the foreknowledge of God the Father, by the sanctifying work of the Spirit, to obey Jesus Christ and to be sprinkled with his blood. May grace and peace be yours in the fullest measure. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who, according to his great mercy, has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to obtain an inheritance which is imperishable and undefiled and will not fade away, reserved in heaven for you, who are protected by the power of God through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you greatly rejoice, even though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been distressed by various trials, so that the proof of your faith, being more precious than gold, which is perishable, even though tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. And though you have not seen him, you love him. And though you do not see him now, but believe In him, you greatly rejoice with joy inexpressible and full of glory, obtaining as the outcome of your faith the salvation of your souls. As to this salvation, the prophets who prophesied of the grace that would come to you made careful searches and inquiries, seeking to know what person or time the Spirit of Christ within them was indicating as he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the glories to follow. It was revealed to them that they were not serving themselves, but you, in these things which now have been announced to you through those who preached the gospel to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven, things into which angels long to look. Therefore, prepare your minds for action. Keep sober in spirit, for your hope completely on the grace to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the former lusts which were yours in your ignorance, but like the Holy One who called you, be holy yourselves also in all your behavior, because it is written, You shall be holy, for I am holy. If you address as Father the one who impartially judges according to each one's work, 
conduct yourselves in fear during the time of your stay on earth, knowing that you were not redeemed with perishable things, like silver or gold, from your futile way of life, inherited from your forefathers, but with precious blood, as of a lamb unblemished and spotless, the blood of Christ. For he was foreknown before the foundation of the world, but has appeared in these last times for the sake of you, who through him are believers in God, who raised him from the dead and gave him glory, so that your faith and hope are in God. Since you have in abundance to the truth purified your souls for the sincere love of the brethren, fervently love one another from the heart. For you have been born again, not of seed which is perishable, but imperishable, that is, through the living and enduring word of God. For all flesh is like grass, and all its glory like the flower of grass. The grass withers and the flower falls off, but the word of the Lord endures forever. And this is the word which was preached to you. Therefore, putting aside all malice and all deceit and hypocrisy and envy and all slander, like newborn babies, long for the pure milk of the word, so that by it you may grow in respect to salvation, if you have tasted the kindness of the Lord. And coming to him as to a living stone, which has been rejected by men, but is choice and precious in the sight of God, you also, as living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house for a holy priesthood, to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For this is contained in Scripture. Behold, I lay in Zion a choice stone, a precious cornerstone, and he who believes in him will not be disappointed. This precious value, then, is for you who believe, but for those who disbelieve, the stone which the builders rejected, this became the very cornerstone, and a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. For they stumble because they are disobedient to the word, and to this doom they were also appointed. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for God's own possession, so that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who has called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. For you were once not a people, but now you are the people of God. You had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Beloved, I urge you, as aliens and strangers, to abstain from fleshly lusts which wage war against the soul. Keep your behavior excellent among the Gentiles, so that in the thing in which they slander you as evildoers, they may, because of your good deeds as they observe them, glorify God in the day of visitation. Submit yourselves for the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether to a king as the one in authority, or to governors as sent by him 
for the punishment of evildoers and the praise of those who do right. For such is the will of God, that by doing right you may silence the ignorance of foolish men. Act as free men, and do not use your freedom as a covering for evil, but use it as bondslaves of God. Honor all people. Love the brotherhood. Fear God. Honor the king. Servants, be submissive to your masters with all respect, not only to those who are good and gentle, but also to those who are unreasonable. For this finds favor, if for the sake of conscience toward God, a person bears up under sorrows when suffering unjustly. For what credit is there if, when you sin and are harshly treated, you endure it with patience? But if, when you do what is right and suffer for it, you patiently endure it, this finds favor with God. For you have been called for this purpose, since Christ also suffered for you, leaving an example for you to follow in his steps, who committed no sin nor was any deceit found in his mouth. And while being reviled, he did not revile in return. While suffering, he uttered no threats, but kept entrusting himself to him who judges righteously. And he himself bore our sins in his body on the cross, so that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. For by his wounds... We are healed. For you were continually straying like sheep, but now you have returned to the shepherd and guardian of your souls. In the same way, you wives, be submissive to your own husbands, so that even if any of them are disobedient to the word, they may be won without a word by the behavior of their wives, as they observe your chaste and respectful behavior. Your adornment must not be merely external, braiding the hair and wearing gold jewelry and putting on dresses, but let it be the hidden person of the heart, with the imperishable quality of a gentle and quiet spirit, which is precious in the sight of God. For in this way, in former times, the holy women also, who hoped in God, used to adorn themselves, being submissive to their own husbands, just as Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord. And you have become her children, if you do what is right, without being frightened by any fear. You husbands, in the same way, live with your wives in an understanding way, as with someone weaker, since she is a woman and show her honor as a fellow heir of the grace of life, so that your prayers will not be hindered. To sum up, all of you be harmonious, sympathetic, brotherly, kind-hearted, and humble in spirit, not returning evil for evil or insult for insult, but giving a blessing instead. For you were called for the very purpose that you might have a blessing inherited. For the one who desires life to love and see good days must keep his tongue from evil and his lips from speaking deceit. 
He must turn away from evil and do good. He must seek peace and pursue it. For the eyes of the Lord are toward the righteous, and his ears attend to their prayer. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. Who is there to harm you if you prove zealous for what is good? But even if you should suffer for the sake of righteousness, you are blessed. And do not fear their intimidation, and do not be troubled. But sanctify Christ as Lord in your hearts, always being ready to make a defense to anyone who asks you to give an account for the hope that is in you, yet with gentleness and reverence. And keep a good conscience, so that in the thing in which you are slandered, those who revile your good behavior in Christ will not be put to shame. For it is better, if God should will it so, that you suffer for doing what is right rather than for doing what is wrong. For Christ also died for sins once for all, the just for the unjust, so that he might bring us to God, having been put to death in the flesh but made alive in the Spirit in which also he went and made proclamation to the spirits now in prison, who once were disobedient, when the patience of God kept waiting in the days of Noah during the construction of the ark, in which a few, that is, eight persons, were brought safely through the water. Corresponding to that, baptism now saves you, not the removal of dirt from the flesh, but an appeal to God for a good conscience through the resurrection of Jesus Christ, who is at the right hand of God, having gone into heaven, after angels and authorities and powers had been subjected to him. Therefore, since Christ has suffered in the flesh, arm yourselves also with the same purpose, because he who has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin, so as to live the rest of the time in the flesh, no longer for the lusts of men, but for the will of God. For the time already past is sufficient for you to have carried out the desire of the Gentiles, having pursued a course of sensuality, lusts, drunkenness, carousing, drinking parties, and abominable idolatries. In all this, they are surprised that you do not run with them into the same excesses of dissipation, and they malign you. But they will give account to him who is ready to judge the living and the dead. For the gospel has, for this purpose, been preached even to those who are dead, that though they are judged in the flesh as men, they may live in the Spirit according to the will of God. The end of all things is near. Therefore, be of sound judgment and sober spirit for the purpose of prayer. Above all, keep fervent in your love for one another, because love covers a multitude of sins. Be hospitable to one another without complaint. As each one has received a special gift, employ it in serving one another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. Whoever speaks is to do so as one who is speaking the utterances of God. 
Whoever serves is to do so as one who is serving by the strength which God supplies, so that in all things God may be glorified through Jesus Christ, to whom belongs the glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery ordeal among you, which comes upon you for your testing, as though some strange thing were happening to you. But to the degree that you share the sufferings of Christ, keep on rejoicing, so that also at the revelation of his glory you may rejoice with exultation. If you are reviled for the name of Christ, you are blessed, because the Spirit of glory and of God rests on you. Make sure that none of you suffers as a murderer or thief or evildoer, or a troublesome meddler. But if anyone suffers as a Christian, he is not to be ashamed, but is to glorify God in this name. For it is time for judgment to begin with the household of God. And if it begins with us first, what will be the outcome for those who do not obey the gospel of God? And if it is with difficulty that the righteous is saved, what will become of the godless man and the sinner? Therefore, those also who suffer according to the will of God shall entrust their souls to a faithful creator in doing what is right. Therefore, I exhort the elders among you, as your fellow elder and witness of the sufferings of Christ, and a partaker also of the glory that is to be revealed, Shepherd the flock of God among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but voluntarily, according to the will of God, and not for sordid gain, but with eagerness, nor yet as lording it over those allotted to your charge, but proving to be examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. You younger men likewise, be subject to your elders, and all of you clothe yourselves with humility toward one another. For God is opposed to the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Therefore, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God, that he may exalt you at the proper time, casting all your anxiety on him, because he cares for you. Be of sober spirit. Be on the alert. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. But resist him, firm in your faith, knowing that the same experiences of suffering are being accomplished by your brethren who are in the world. After you have suffered for a little while, the God of all grace, who called you to his eternal glory in Christ, will himself perfect, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. To him be dominion forever and ever. Amen. Through Silvanus, our faithful brother, for so I regard him, I have written to you briefly, exhorting and testifying that this is the true grace of God. Stand firm in it. 
She who is in Babylon, chosen together with you, sends you greetings. And so does my son, Mark. Greet one another with a kiss of love. Peace be to you all who are in Christ. Congratulations for finishing 1 Peter. Let's look at some of the richness that is in this book. So first off, it's addressed to the aliens. Now, this isn't talking about extraterrestrials. I hope we know that. And I'm not trying to be funny either, because some people take this very literally. But what it's talking about is people who are strangers, sojourners, foreign residents. These are the people he's referring to. So the reason why he's calling these people this is because, like we read in a couple of Paul's letters, we are not residents of this world anymore. If we have been saved by the grace of God, we belong to a heavenly kingdom now. Therefore, our citizenship is in heaven. And that's what he's referring to here, is those that do not belong to the planet anymore and now belong to heaven. We are sojourners. We are aliens. We are temporary residents. We are on a work visa in this land. And so, in the meantime, we just need to remember where we are going, and we need to long for that day. He begins his letter with a doxology, and it's quite a good one, too, where he talks about all the different things about the grace of God. And if you saw that from the very end of his letter, his whole epistle here is based off of the true grace of God. And so some of the grace that he shows us, which is undeserved favor, right, is how Jesus Christ died for our sins and how it was by the foreknowledge of God the Father. Meaning that because he knows everything, past, present, and future, he knew that he wanted to save you from eternity past. That was always in the plan, to save you. And what a glorious thing to think about, right? Out of all the universe, God decided to save me for my sins. It's very humbling, and it's very worthy of praise. Not because I deserve it, but because God did it. That's reason enough to praise him. So, can we see it like that? Can we really just take a moment to appreciate that? What lengths he went through to save you? It's remarkable. And in verse 6, very similarly to James, he mentions that we will go through trials. And it's for the same reason, right? And this kind of completes James's thought as well. So that the proof of your faith, being more perishable than gold which is perishable, even though tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. That's why we go through these trials. It produces endurance, and when endurance produces its perfect result, this is what we see here. We see proof that we have faith, and then we have, ultimately, the glorification of God. And that's what it comes down to. Because not only will we praise God in the middle of the storm, but we will be doing great things for him as a result of the trials, because we will be prepared for something greater. Everything is for his glory 
and for our good. And don't forget that. Then he mentions in verse 10 how the prophets were told of the grace that was going to be shown to us Gentiles, but they didn't really quite understand that. And so they didn't get to understand what that was until they went to heaven and God showed it to them. They remember visions of the suffering servant, of the Messiah, and they predicted all this stuff exactly as it happened. And yet, it didn't really make a lot of sense to them, because it didn't come into fruition until much later, when Jesus Christ appeared. And what's very interesting as well is that it mentions in verse 12 how the angels long to look for this. They desire to look intently at this. And what I suppose that they're referring to here is the way that God saves his people. Because he doesn't do that to the angels. And I'm sure that they find it very interesting why this is. And so they long to look at these things and understand it. Then in verse 13, he shows us how grace means sobriety of spirit. To be aware of what's going on and to keep ourselves in check. There's a lot more to it than that, but that's the simplified version of it. And most importantly, verse 14, if we are going to be sober in spirit, we need to be obedient children, obedient to the commandments of God. And by being obedient, we are not supposed to go back to the old ways. We're not supposed to go back to our former lusts that enslaved us. And this has been a reoccurring theme in the New Testament. Why should we do this? because God's original command still stands. And this was back since the law of Moses. You are to be holy because I am holy. That was the original command from God, and that has never changed, nor did he revoke it. So therefore, we need to fulfill the original commandment. Since we are saved and sustained by grace, we also are supposed to live with a posture of fear before the Lord. And remember, this kind of fear is reverence, not necessarily that you're afraid of him. And also in an attitude of love, not only toward God, but also toward each other, right? We're supposed to love our neighbors as ourselves. And like it says in verse 22, have a sincere love for the brethren. Fervently love one another from the heart. You really want to love people. You're not compelled to. No one's forcing you to. It is not religious. It is a sincere desire. And then in chapter 2, he shows us how grace is supposed to grow us. The grace of God that we are being obedient to is supposed to grow us because it causes negative things to come out of our lives. And then he shows us to be like babies in terms of how dependent a baby is on the milk that sustains them and how helpless they are. In the same way, we are helpless in our own right because God needs to be the ones to sustain us and give us his grace. Without it, we won't survive. And so we are to long for the word of God like it was milk and we were infants. The rest of the first half of chapter 2 
is showing how Jesus is the living stone, how he is central to everything that is our salvation and everything that the Bible's about. And it shows all the scripture that was fulfilled and a better understanding of what this means. Then he shows us how another aspect of being obedient to the grace of God is being submissive. And there's a number of people we're supposed to be submissive to, right? And so again, it talks about being submissive to government and to authorities. And like it says, that if they are godly in their conduct, we need to obey them. But if they are evil and they're promoting and they're promoting evil agendas, or they're doing anything contrary to the Word of God, we cannot obey that. We have to obey God over man. Why do we need to obey our leaders? Because if you remember Romans chapter 13, it says that God establishes all authority. All leadership is established by God, even the bad ones. So it's for His purpose, and it's for His glory, ultimately. He uses evil for his good, and we just don't always see it at the time. Then it talks about how masters and servants are supposed to be in relation with each other, that even if the master is not a good master, servants are still supposed to obey them and be loving toward them. That is the godly thing to do. Like it says, if you do what is right, and suffer for it, and you patiently endure it, this finds favor with God. I remember a few years back, I had a really hard boss to work for, to the point where I just wanted to quit, I was psychologically traumatized in some ways, and really, I hated his guts. And I have repented of that, and I have sought his forgiveness, and the Lord told me to forgive him, and I did. But it was hard for a long time. And yet, I never yelled at him. I never lost my temper with him too much. There's a few times I did, let's be honest. But overall, I kept it to myself. I'm not a hard person to read, though. So my emotions are on my sleeve. Usually how I'm feeling, my mood or whatever, is written all over my face. It's pretty obvious. But what we're talking about here is even if all of these things are going on with you, you're supposed to patiently endure it, and God rewards that. And he does. Jesus Christ is the example of that. He was mistreated more than any of us ever will. And yet he didn't fight back. He didn't challenge them, and he could have, right? He's God. He could have had anything happen to them but yet he didn't. He endured it without threatening them, without reviling in return, without getting his own revenge. He allowed God the Father to handle it. And we need to be the same way. Chapter 3 is how husbands are supposed to obey their wives, wives are to obey their husbands. And in this case, it's more referring to the wife this time. How submissive women are like children of Sarah. Now, not literally by ancestry, of course, but spiritual children of Sarah. Because of their submissiveness, their gentle and quiet spirit, 
which is able to win the heart of their husband. That happened to me yesterday as well. My wife addressed me with something that she really needed to talk to me about and was concerned about me. And the way she did it was so gentle. It was so good. And it was well received. There have been times where she addresses it with me and I get defensive. And I'm wrong for getting defensive to begin with. But the way she did it, it was just coated with honey. And it was to the point, and it wasn't trying to skirt around the issue, but the way that she presented it was so good and so righteous that I accepted it with gladness. And I wasn't offended by it, and I loved that she did that. And I appreciate her concern for me, and I just saw her genuine concern. And so I recommend that to any wife out there, as well as to husbands, because husbands don't have any right to mistreat their wives, and we are to be in like manner. So talk to each other with kindness and gentleness, especially spouses. Like it says in verse 7, her husbands. Husbands, in the same way, live with your wives in an understanding way, as someone who is weaker since she is a woman. And show her honor as a fellow heir of the grace of life, so that your prayers will not be hindered. This is very interesting. So you're saying that if you are mistreating your wife, or you're not forgiving your wife, you hold bitterness toward your wife, God's not going to hear your prayers? Maybe. That is a very scary thing to think about. So she is your flesh. Remember, the two become one flesh. Therefore, you're angry at yourself, the other half of yourself. And so, because you are divided among yourself, God will not listen to you. And so, we need to make sure that we live with our wives in an understanding way. That's not always easy, right? We know that. Living in a marriage is work, and it takes patience, and it takes time, but it's worth it. Then the second half of chapter 3 is where he kind of recaps everything he's talked about to this point between verses 8 and 12, and then verses 13 through the end of the chapter, he's talking about the reasons why we suffer. And so the first thing to note here is in verse 15. It says to sanctify Christ as Lord in your hearts, always being ready to make a defense to everyone who asks you. So what this is usually referred to is as the birth of apologetics. Apologetics meaning how to defend your faith. So you're going to, at one point or another, as a Christian, be confronted with very serious questions, or questions that will challenge the way you think of the Bible. And if you're not prepared, you could be led astray, or you could damage your witness, or you can give bad information to someone. If you don't know something, that's okay. But don't try to make something up, I guess is what I'm trying to get at. But there will be those very difficult questions that come your way that the world will constantly try to throw at you. If God is so good, why does he allow evil to exist? If God is loving, why does he allow children to die? And you get those really difficult questions. There is an answer to them, 
But they are difficult questions, and your average Christian doesn't know what to do with that. And so it's very important that we spend time in the Word and we study these things so that through the wisdom of God, we can understand how to answer these questions. Because some people have those barriers that they put up in their lives, and those are the only barriers that are left before they receive salvation. So through your apologetics, you might bring someone to Christ because you have eliminated all their reservations. How wonderful that would be, right? Then in chapter 4, he gives us a thought here. Christ suffered in the flesh, and he is the example to us, right? So we should be arming ourselves by taking the same view of suffering as Christ took, which is to accept it in the will of God. So thereby, the dominion of sin is broken in practical experience, rather than just being in theory or from a spiritual sense. So not only in the way we conduct ourselves, but by the faith that we have, do we conquer these things and follow in Christ's footsteps. Verse 7 is an interesting one here. It says the end of all things is near. We keep hearing about that, and it's been 2,000 years. But again, to God, it's time is different for him. Be of sound judgment and sober spirit for the purpose of prayer. So again, prayer is key in our faith. Above all, keep fervent in your love for one another because love covers a multitude of sins. We are to be people of forgiveness, right? And if we have a loving spirit, we're not just going to hold things against people. We're going to be able to bear with people patiently. And that's important. We have to have that. Be hospitable to one another without complaint. Don't do it because you have to. Do it because you want to, right? And this is another one that reminds me of James, verse 12. Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery ordeal among you, which comes upon you for your testing, right? That's why it comes. And don't act as though something strange is happening to you. We should not be surprised by the trials that come. But what are they for? What is the purpose of them? They are to mature you. They are to make you complete, right? So, if we are reviled for the name of Christ, we are blessed. But this one is taken out of context by Christians. Because if we are not acting in a proper way, or life just has difficulties, then we like to blame it as being a Christian, we suffer. That is not suffering. I'm talking about if you're sharing the gospel with people, you're praying for people, you're evangelizing, and people revile you for that, that's what we're talking about. Not just the hardships of living in an ungodly world, nor these attitudes of pride that, oh, because I'm so righteous, I have all these problems. You got to be careful with these mindsets, because that's not what this is intending. This is intending for those who are actually doing their jobs as Christians. And there's not many of them. But if anyone suffers as a Christian, he is not to be ashamed, but is to glorify God in, his, in this name. So none of us should be evildoers, but we should be people of God in action. And then chapter 5, he finalizes the thought of grace 
by saying that grace ultimately, because of everything that God has given you, you need to use it and give it to other people. Serve the Lord with a whole heart. Give it to people who needs it. Share the grace of God with a fallen world. And most importantly, verse 6, humble yourselves that we may be exalted, right? The first will be last, the last will be first kind of thing. And remember, God wants you to cast your anxieties on him. Cast your worries and your concerns on him, and he will listen, and he cares for you. Is there a reason why we need to think this way? Yes, because in verse 8, be a sober spirit and on the alert, because Satan is wandering around looking for someone to devour. He can't fully devour you as a Christian, but he is going to do his best to make you as miserable as possible or as ineffective as possible. That's why it calls for us in verse 9 to resist him. It doesn't say to pick up your sword and fight him. It says to resist him, because you're not strong enough. He is not to be underestimated, but he is not all-powerful like God. God is infinitely stronger than Satan. But yet, Satan is stronger than us. So you need to make sure you give him a healthy respect of his ability, but yet not be afraid of him. Because we believe in a God who can rescue us from him. Then he finalizes his letter by saying that it was delivered to them by Silvanus. That name should be familiar. That is Silas. And then it mentions that We are to stand firm in the faith, and she who is in Babylon sends you greetings. Why is there a mention here about Babylon? What this is often referred to in this time period was Rome. Rome was referred to as Babylon. It was almost like a code word, if you will, because if the Roman Empire read that you were plotting against Rome or talking bad against Rome, They would have cause to do something against you. But in this case, they're calling it Babylon. But I also think, knowing how the Catholic Church is, that doesn't surprise me. Because I think that in the book of Revelation, the whore of Babylon is the Catholic Church. And so I don't think there's a coincidence in them referring to Rome which is the home of the Roman Catholic Church, as being Babylon. It is a perfect correlation. So I think there's a little bit more to it than just simply a code word, because this has significance in it. And I think they knew something back then that is still prevalent today. Then Peter closes his letter by saying that Mark sends greetings, his son. Now again, kind of like how Paul adopted Timothy in the faith, Peter adopted John Mark as a son in the faith. And that's why, through Peter, Mark wrote the Gospel of Mark. Because it wasn't his testimony. Because he wasn't there. But Peter was. And so, most... (laughs) So perhaps more accurately, the book of Mark should be called the Gospel of Peter because it was written about everything that Peter saw and said. So, 
very interesting there. And that, my friends, is 1 Peter. And tomorrow we will complete 2 Peter. Until then, thank you for listening. I'm Ryan, and we'll see you next time. Take care, and God bless you.